Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by their good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Give them a call. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Always appreciate his update on what's happening in terms of improving education in Florida public schools. Michael Cannon is the uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Michael as well as Seton Motley, the founder and president of Les Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. It is March the 11th, and on this day in 1985, capping his rise through the Communist Party hierarchy, Mikhail Gorbachev was selected as the new General Secretary of the Soviet Union following the death of Konstantin Chernerko the day before. He oversaw a radical transformation of Soviet society and foreign policy during the next six years. Gorbachev was born in 1931, the son of peasant farmers near Stravopol. As a young man, he joined the usual Communist Party youth groups. In 1952, he traveled to Moscow to earn his degree in law. Upon his return to his native town of Stravopol, uh, Gorbachev became extremely active in the party politics and began a rapid rise through the Communist Party bureaucracy. Part of his success was due to his intelligence, drive, and ability to see and exploit opportunities. He was also aided by his ability to attach himself to important mentors such as Yuri Andrabov, the head of the headed, dreaded KGB, Russia's secret police. With Andrabov's support, Gorbachev was elected to the Central Committee of the Communist Party in 1971. During the next decade and a half, he worked hard to promote his own career and to support Soviet leader Leonard Brezhnev. When Brezhnev died in 1982, Andropov took power. Gorbachev's role in the new government expanded, and then Andropov died in 1984. It was widely assumed that Gorbachev would be his successor, but his youth, combined with suspicions from old some old-time Communist Party officials that the young man was too reform-minded, led to the selection of Konstantin Chernerko. Gorbachev did not have to wait for long for a second chance, however. Chernerko died the, then less than a year in office. With rapid-fire deaths of Andropov and Chernerko, Gorbachev had outlived his only serious competition, and he was selected to become the new leader of the Soviet Union on March the 11th, 1985. During the next six years, he led the Soviet Union through a dizzying pace of domestic reforms and foreign policy changes. He relaxed political oppression and led the push for reform of the nation's crumbling economic system. On the foreign policy scene, he worked hard to secure better relations with the United States. And in 1987, he and President Ronald Reagan signed the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces, or the INF Treaty, which reduced the number of medium-range missiles each nation kept in Europe. The pace of change, however, might have been too rapid by the late 80s, the Soviet Union was cracking to pieces. Eastern European satellites were breaking free. Various Russian republics were pushing for independence, and the economy was on a downward spiral. 
In December 1991, Gorbachev resigned as president and the Soviet Union formally ceased to exist. And that's the story. Isn't it interesting how the great Soviet Union dissipated and dissolved because of economic failure and its inability to hold itself together? Well, free money for immigrants, felons, and teachers who don't teach. That's the $1.9 trillion monstrosity passed by the House yesterday, and it's headed to the White House for Biden's signature. At least the GOP hung together as all members voted no. This past weekend, the Senate Republicans also forced floor votes on some two dozen crafty amendments to the bill. They almost all failed on a straight party-line vote, but it forced Democrat senators to take some very bad votes that could haunt them in their next elections. Probably not, but here are a few worth remembering. About assistance to non-public schools ensures that about $135 billion is reserved for teachers' unions and the education blob. How about a, uh, uh, this is by Toomey, a strike socially disadvantaged farmers. This is an absurd program that creates racial preferences for farm programs. Then there's the failed Fisher uh, Amendment, reinstating current law urban transit formula and draws slush fund that would have prevented a $5 billion earmark for New York transit system. Uh, Cotton uh, proposed an MTC prevent grant money to sanctuary cities. Democrats love illegal immigration. Failed Cruise Amendment provided for children with the option for in-person education if public schools don't open. Even more evidence that Democrats care more about teachers' unions than they do about parents and kids. A failed vote a threshold of Tuberville. This is Tommy Tuberville's bill. No fund for schools that allows biological males to compete in girls' sports. Democrats are too woke to protect girls' sports. That's, this is just crazy. How about a failed uh, Cassidy Amendment ensured that 2021 recovery rebates are not provided to prisoners. Felons are a key part of the Democrat coalition. Uh, Democrat uh, ensured that recovery rebates are not provided to illegal immigrants. Illegal immigrants are also part of the key Democrat coalition. And the uh, Keystone XL pipeline uh, tried to open that, but no Dems hate fossil fuels more than they want jobs. So there were some uh, decent attempts by uh, Republicans to try and salvage something out of the bill, but it passed along party lines, and it's off to Biden's desk for his signature. $1.9 trillion, most of which is a slush fund for the Democrat Party, and very little of which is important in order to sustain the economy uh, during this uh, pandemic. Democrat votes to destroy their own state rights to work laws. Now, workers have the right to collectively bargain uh, they also have the right to not join a union if they so choose. 27 states have guaranteed this fundamental right by instituting state right-to-work laws. The evidence is clear that businesses, jobs, factories, and investment capital migrate from the blue-forced unions to the red state to work right-to-work states. These mostly red right-to-work states have created about twice as many jobs as the forced union states. So yesterday was a dark, dark day in the United States. House of Representatives passed a bill to repeal right-to-work laws in every state. 
This would force tens of millions of Americans to join unions and to pay union dues against their will. This could raise hundreds of millions of dollars for the union bosses, who then will, of course, pass this money on to the Democrats in campaign contributions. Five Republicans inexplicably voted with the unions. Most distressing was the number of Democrats who voted against their own states. Our view is, give workers the right to choose. American workers have a right to band together and form un- and join unions to collectively bargain. And workers also have the right to not join the union if they don't want to. Now, there's going to be a lot of resistance from the states. I doubt seriously this is going to get traction. Uh, I, I believe this is more of a state's rights uh, ability rather than the federal government imposing the the desire and the uh, importance of unionizing. Just I don't think it's going to stand up. Finally, the CDC distorted school stuff at the unions. In the USA Today, they stopped just short of accusing the Biden CDC of scientific fraud. The CDC infamously met with teachers' unions before coming out with a shocking school opening guidance that if followed would actually inhibit getting kids back to school. Now the authors of the CDC own school study says the recent school opening guidance released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is an example of fears influencing science and harmful policy. The guidance does not take into account the data we have reg- uh, regarding little disease transmission in schools, nor uh, although the guidance cites the work uh, performed across Wisconsin districts performed by other schools and uh, published in Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, does not take this data and new analysis into account. Keeping schools closed or even partially closed, says the CDC, based on what we know is now unwarranted. It is harming children has become a human rights issue. Thank goodness the CDC is lining up and uh, the influence of the school of the teachers union is being reduced. Finally, our conservative friends had hoped and prayed that West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin would be one of the Democrats who would break from the left and they would be, bad, of course, been badly disappointed. Manchin has never, ever broken with Democrat leadership whenever his vote is really needed and, and really counted. Now it's confirmed he is a fraud moderate, never was, never will be. He's always provided the tie-breaking vote to approve $1.9 trillion bailout bill from promising the GOP he would hold firm against its excesses. Last month, Manchin made a public show of backing 10 moderate GOP senators who wanted to negotiate better bill with President Biden. We're going to make the work in a bipartisan way, Manchin promised. If Democrats think that they're going to just shove people at this down people's throats, that's not going to happen, he said. Well, guess what? It did happen. Uh, and now Manchin is making noises that he may do the same thing with Biden's next priority, uh, the 2 to $4 trillion climate and infrastructure spending bill. He also said he's open to reforming the filibuster, which requires 60 votes in the Senate. I looked to Manchin. I thought he'd be the strong man and perhaps the big obstacle to to implementing this aggressive, highly aggressive, progressive agenda. But uh, he turns out to be a big disappointment. No big surprise there. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. 
Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Uh, go to lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Keith Law, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now, we have with us Keith Flaw, co-founder of a terrific organization. Well, they've accomplished an awful lot in just eight or nine years. It's called the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith Flaw, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, we're a coalition of uh, now well over 100 groups, and we've grown to 110,000 uh, people. We've just uh, last year added about 50,000 parents to our base, and we focus on K-12 through education reform. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, to us, that means, uh, you know, getting rid of the indoctrination, the pornographies in our schools, but uh, also from a solutions point of view, uh, really providing solutions to parents that uh, give them an alternative to the government schools. And we focus heavily on promoting homeschooling and uh, also um, 
uh, there's the Florida scholarship programs that exist to let parents get their kids out of uh, government schools and into private schools. Yeah. Now, some parents might say, well, pornography and indoctrination in schools, is that, can that be? Well, you, it certainly can be. I hope you'll check out goflca.com, goflca.com. you find a lot of information about that. So we're right now in the, the second week, I guess, of the legislative session. It's always tough. There's always surprises pushing through legislation, and you got some good stuff in the works. So tell us what's going on. Well, uh, our focus, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, our focus is education, of course. Um, and so from an education point of view, uh, there's a couple of really good bills uh, that are moving. The parents' rights bill that didn't make it last year, it made it to the House but not the Senate, is moving in both houses. Uh, we're really strong advocates for that. Um, and I expect it, uh, I'd be surprised if it doesn't pass this year, but it's going to take some uh, energy. There's a, a lot of operate, uh, opposition on the left. Hmm. Uh, there's a major bill uh, that's in the Senate right now, but I, uh, it's moved completely through the Senate. And, um, and so I expect the House just to adopt it on the strike call and pull it in. It's uh, re revamping the whole scholarship program for Florida. It's combining the tax credit scholarship uh, with the Family Empowerment Scholarship, both of those are low income today. In, in, in definition, both of those are low income scholarships. Uh, we have two scholarship programs for disabled students, the McKay and the Gardner, and they're combining those into one. Uh, and uh, they're also um, fiddling with the Hope Scholarship, which is interesting. That's one we've been really advocating for uh, because it gives so much power back to the parents. Uh, what they're doing with that uh, in the bill is pulling it into the Family Empowerment Scholarship, but, but creating a separate category in the Family Empowerment Scholarship that won't require uh, uh, the poverty test. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We just talked to Richard Corcoran yesterday. He still said, said it's a little bit early. Uh, we're trying to, uh, we're supporting the bill, but we're trying to get him to keep the name Hope Scholarship, even though it'll be a subset under the Family Empowerment Scholarship. And I don't mean to get too complicated there, but that's an important aspect if we're going to market such a great program. No, it certainly is. Uh, and uh, well, two things. First of all, just let's take a step back. Tell us about the uh, parents' uh, rights uh, bill. That, why is that important? Well, um, it, it does a couple of major things, but what it declares, it pulls from a lot of different places in statute and the and the uh, Florida Constitution. It pull it creates a chapter called Parents' Rights, so it pulls it all together. Uh, right now, it's dispersed. Many of the aspects of it are dispersed throughout law, uh, as we uh, have experienced and I've commented on your show a number of times. School districts are adept at ignoring the law when it doesn't suit them. Right. Uh, so pulling it into one chapter, get, putting a focus on it from parents is a big plus. Uh, the other thing it does is it, it, it very specifically lays out some of those uh, rights. Um, you know, for, for example, the right, to, and I'm just picking one off the top of my head, but the right for you to decide um, the education program for your child. Yeah, uh, the so right important. for you to decide that your child isn't going to get immunized. Right. Uh, so it, it, it states a number of those rights all in one chapter. So it's more complicated than that, but it's a, it's a really good bill and it's moving now on both sides. So we're hopeful that that'll 
uh, that'll continue. Well, it, it certainly is important. And I think it's important that parents understand their rights, and more important, that the school system understands their rights as well. In other words, <laughs> have, have some yeah. uh, boundaries and limitations on that. That's what I would say, not their rights, but their limitations. Exactly. Yeah. So it's one thing that uh, is kind of off-topic but uh, is important to me uh, the 1776 Project did some great work. Our own Ishmael Hernandez partic- participated in this thing. Within an hour of uh, President uh, uh, Biden taking office, it disappeared from the website. Is there anything yeah. we can do to make to bring this back and make it part of the Florida education process? Uh, you know, and, and not in the short term would be my, um, you know, the short answer, yeah. uh, you know, I think uh, obviously parents demanding that it, it be brought back uh, would be a plus. Yeah. Um, parents, you know, I've said this to you before, you know, you can't really reform a monopoly. You have to break it. So getting kids out of government schools and then insisting that they get that kind of program in their home school or in, in private schools, parents have a lot more control over those. Yeah. So that would be my short answer. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not, there's not a longer answer to that. Of course. One of the one of the bad things that has come out of this session, uh, you know, we've put a lot of energy into fighting the pornography, and we had we got a bill filed in both the House and the Senate called Harmful to, to Minors Bill. Uh, it just, uh, the bill uh, was totally co-opted uh, by the by the sponsor. Uh, it is, uh, it went through its first committee yesterday as a, as a co- committee bill. Uh, it did away with any reference to the pornography in chapter 847. And all it does, which is not in and of itself terrible, but all it does is to provide the, uh, the, the parent with a legal opt-in uh, on sexually explicit material. Mm. Um, but that puts no teeth in it. There's no penalty if the school districts ignore it, and the school districts ignore the current law. So That's too um, we, uh, we have pulled back. We're not opposing the bill, but we pulled back, and we're not actively supporting that in the House. In the Senate, uh, the bill, is that as we uh, drafted it, is still in play. Uh, unfortunately, there's some politics on that side that make that a, a big reach. So we'll see how that goes. That's a disappointment. We've been fighting the pornography for four years, five years now. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really such a shame that it's so hard for elected officials to decide to protect the innocence of our children. Right. I, I just don't get it. Um, I would what, guess I would guess most of them just haven't put in the time to understand what the real problem is, quite frankly. If they understood, they would certainly vote for and support the legislation, in my opinion. So, yeah, I would have said that a couple of years ago, but we've done a pretty pretty effective job at, at, at rubbing their nose in what's there. Yeah, I got <laughs> and, it. And, uh, you know, I, 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 it's maybe like the fourth or fifth rail of politics, you know. They just don't want to. It's such a controversial subject. Huh. At an adult level, they want to, don't want to touch it. Well, it's I, I must say it just points out the difficulty of the, of the legislative process indeed. And I just appreciate you the work that you and Pastor Rick and others in the Florida Citizens Alliance are doing to, to, to make this happen. Before I let you go, though, I understand we have a big event coming up in April. Yeah, April 17th, uh, we, we did our uh, annual fundraiser, uh, which was at the uh, Naples Grand in February, very successful, but it was labeled Celebrating Kids in Country Part 1. Uh, that means there's going to be a Part 2. <laughs> and uh, our Part 2 is now targeted at, at, a, at a different um, audience. Uh, it's uh, it's, it's going to be a half-day event on a Saturday morning 
uh, at the Naples Community Church uh, in downtown Naples. Uh, we're going to live stream it. Uh, it's priced very aggressively. Uh, you can either pay $49 one-time charge or a, uh, a monthly fee of $10, and we don't tell you how many months you have to sign up for. And uh, it's going to be completely focused on solutions for parents mm. uh, and, and grandparents. So um, we're excited about that um, as, as a follow-on to what we do. And when we try to put on this annual event, it's always a challenge uh, to, when you're bringing in big names like Ben Carson, right, and others. It's always a challenge to, uh, to be able to price an event that, that, that fits everybody's budget. Absolutely. And uh, by splitting it into two, uh, we're we're attempting, and I think it will be effective. But we're attempting to accommodate both uh, both the affluent folks of, of of Southwest Florida to get them engaged, and the real activists in Florida and the parents to get to help help them find solutions. All right, so that's April the seventeenth. I encourage our listeners to go to go to goflca. Dot com goflca.com to find out more. Keith, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Bob. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you, Keith. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater. At its very best, you just heard about the new Performing Arts Center. They're going to be breaking ground in September. I'm so proud of that. I served as board chairman for 15 years. I hope you'll check out golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the uh, director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. Great to be here. So, Michael, you know, one of the most controversial areas that we have is with is uh, narcotics and drugs. Uh, it's part of the healing process for those that are going through severe pain, especially. I know you had back surgery. I recently had it myself. It also turns out to be uh, addictive, a narcotic that can be uh, a real problem for society. Uh, what are your thoughts? So we were talking a little bit about this uh, uh, during the break. You are recovering from a surgery right now, and when it's been a, a major surgery that, uh, whether it involves your back or or other areas, the ability to have uh, you know opioid pain relievers or, or or other pain relievers is absolutely essential. I mean, people wouldn't be doing those uh, surgeries, including very valuable things like hip and knee replacements, unless they had. Uh, that ability. Uh, I am sort of a, a, I, I've sort of become uh, militant about this issue mm. ever since my own experience with back pain. And this was maybe 10 years ago. Uh, you have to understand something about me, Bob. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't drink. I've never smoked. I've never taken any recreational drugs. Uh, I, it's just a, I, I, I don't, judge others who do, but it's a choice I've made about my own life. I don't want, it's not how I want to live it. And so when I experienced back pain, I resisted taking anything other than, you know, ibuprofen or other uh, NSAID pain relievers. Wow. And, and it wasn't until more than six months after being in the most, a pain I would not wish on my worst enemy. Right that I finally broke down and tried an opioid pain reliever just so I could, I mean, I, 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 just because I was at the end of my rope. Yeah. And it was amazing because not only did it relieve the pain, but it also helped my back to heal. It sure. helped the, the spasming muscles to heal and so forth. And, and that helped uh, me to, to get out of the woods. And I stopped using them as quickly as, uh, as I could you know, for reasons that I've mentioned. And, uh, and I also had had a previous uh, bad experience with them after uh, a knee surgery mm -hmm. where I just didn't like the way the opioids made me feel. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was after the, back, the, the episode with back pain that I realized that these can be part of the healing process. And uh, it made me militant about access to these drugs because the idea that, if I am in that kind of pain and someone else is preventing me from having something that can relieve that pain, just uh, uh, makes me angrier than I can describe. Yeah. And yet that is happening every day in this country. Is it where really? there are people who are in that sort of pain and their own government is preventing them from accessing these drugs for, for no good reason. Now, you, you mentioned a, a very important dimension of this debate, which is that these drugs can be addictive. Uh -huh. 
that is certainly true. Some people do uh, uh, become dependent on, on opioid pain relievers. But that is no reason to stop someone like me, someone, someone like you, from being able to access these drugs when we are in pain. That is our, these are our bodies, that is our choice. And uh, we at the Cato Institute have been working to try to eliminate those restrictions that the government puts on these very beneficial products, right. uh, that those restrictions that leave many people suffering in pain and even lead some people to take their own lives because they cannot live Stand with, with that sort of pain. You know, I, I just underscore a couple of important points, though. Uh, the spasms, the pain... Um, they really do help to relieve that, and the healing can it actually enhances the healing process when the when the body is out of pain like that and has a chance to heal. Uh, you know, in my own case, I resisted taking any kind of opioids at all, and I found myself in such such miserable pain. I finally acquiesced. I'm now taking half doses as opposed to full doses. And it has provided me some relief, and I'm uh, extremely pleased about it. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I'd ever get addicted to it, but uh, and I don't know how long it would take in order to become addicted to it, but I would imagine right now there seems to be a lot of scrutiny when it comes to the pharmacist because when my wife went to get up, pick up the prescription, they asked for her ID, they were getting all kinds of information from her. In other words, making it... I think a pretty serious thing when you're trying to pick up something like Oxycontin or Codon or whatever it might be. Here's the thing. There are a lot of pharmacists who are wary of, uh, of dispensing these drugs. There are a lot of physicians who are wary of prescribing these drugs because the government is monitoring. Mm-hmm. How often they prescribe these drugs? What are their prescribing patterns? They're trying to find uses of these products uh, that, that the government thinks are naughty, that the government thinks are harmful. But who is the ultimate arbiter about what is good for you and, and what is good for me? It is you and I. That's and right. it is none of the government's business what we put inside of our bodies. These are our bodies. They don't belong to the state. They belong to us. Are people going to make mistakes? Absolutely they are. Yeah. But the mistakes the government is making by trying to control what it puts in our body and control uh, uh, what we put in our bodies and control what physicians prescribe to us is causing far more harm than people would do to themselves if the government eliminated all of these restrictions and allowed pharmaceutical companies uh, to manufacture physicians and to prescribe and pharmacists to dispense these drugs and us to use these products in the way that we see fit, even if that doesn't meet the definition of you know, some some puritanical government bureaucrat. I, I must say, politician. I must say, I'm in, I'm just in violent agreement with what you have to say, Michael. I think it is so true, and I would take that same template, those same thoughts, and put it right over. Uh, the whole notion of this uh, vaccine and the virus itself, I mean, we should be making our own decisions. I mean, with regard to our own bodies, I see people flying out the door trying to figure out how can I get the vaccine right away. I mean, wh what do people know about this? How are they checking it out? This is, you know, maybe it's a good thing. I'm not exactly sure, but sh people should be more careful. You know, ultimately, it is your body. It's not the government's decision. It's not your doctor's decision. You have to make the final decision on what's best for you and your family. And uh, that's so critical to the entire process. 
and we've talked about the vaccines before, and and I am uh, a, a skeptic about basically all things medical. You know, I, I want to see reliable evidence that uh, a drug or a vaccine works and is worth the risks before I take it or let anyone else in my family take it. Uh, here, though, with every passing day, uh, we accumulate more evidence pointing to the conclusion that these vaccines are incredibly effective yeah. and that they are remarkably safe. So, uh, so I agree with you that people should be uh, taking a serious look at these products before they use them uh, and, and that it's ultimately their choice. In my judgment, the the evidence of benefit and uh, and the risk benefit profile of these vaccines is pointing toward this is a very good idea, not only for you, but for your families and communities as well. No, I appreciate that point of view. Again, Michael Cannon. I always wish we had more time, Michael. Uh, he is director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Uh, Cato.org is the website. C A T O dot org. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Take care. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform 
Hope you download it at choicesocial.us. It really is interesting, entertaining, and I post all of my shows on Choice Social. I hope you'll check it out. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. Right now, we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and yeah, two trillion dollars. Yeah, I can't even believe what's going on right now. It's just. I, and now they're 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 turning to infrastructure, which should be a state level spending thing, because you know I ninety five goes from Maine to Florida. Why are Kansans and Hawaiians paying for it? Yeah, the governors should get together and that that, are, that in which that contain ninety five and. They're talking, Biden ran on $2 trillion in, in infrastructure. Democrats in Congress are pushing for $4 trillion. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point, though, because the, the only, the only uh, I guess, uh, buffer against this entire thing are states' rights and what our attorneys general do across the, co- the country, what our governors do. Uh, we've got to just somehow, some way, uh, hold this group of progressives in check it's unbelievable well you know you see it now in some states texas uh is now sending troops to the border yeah because the biden won't uh, he won't he won't enforce our border so texas is is sending 500 troops to man the border um this goes back years governor perry was doing that when i lived there in the in the mid-2000s yeah um so, you know, I, I remember going to a press conference with every border county sheriff yeah. along the Texas border came to Austin, and most of them were Democrats. And they were like, we're with Perry, defending the border. Our counties are insane when the border is open. So, yeah, well, you know, past is prologue, as we say. Well, we, this, of course, talks about the legislature, but what about the Supreme Court? We've got Supreme Court Chief Justice uh, Roberts, <laughs> and his behavior has been somewhat concerning. What are your thoughts? Yeah, he's been ruling terribly all the time, and, and uh, it was brought to mind again last week when there, there was a Supreme Court uh, ruling on colleges shutting down students proselytizing on campus, mm-hmm. which is a twofer. It's a, simult- it's, it's a uh, freedom of speech and a freedom of religion uh, violation. Mm-hmm. College is doing that. Um, and they went before the Supreme Court. It was an eight-to-one ruling. Everyone thought it was a violation of the Constitution, except for Justice Roberts. Wow. And I, as I said in the piece, when Clarence Thomas and Sonia Sotomayor agree with each other and disagree with you, just how far from the path have you strayed? I know. So he's just, he's all over the place. And, you know, when, when, when uh, Justice Kennedy was, his nickname was Flipper because he kept flipping on issues, but it really wasn't an appropriate moniker because he was consistently inconsistent in the sense that he was always right on some issues of the law and always wrong on some other issues of the law. Right. Roberts is all over the place. He'll contradict himself in, in, in consecutive ruling on the same issue of law. You know, I thought... So you never know what the heck he's going to yeah, do. Because he, if he's going to contradict himself, how the hell do we know he's going to rule? Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, he's just really bad. And, you know, you and I, the reason I wrote about this again is because we're waiting on, in October, they heard the Google Oracle case, which is an intellectual property case. Google mm-hmm. stole 11,500 lines of Java code to build Android, which is a massive copyright violation. And they heard the case, the Supreme Court heard the case in October, and we're waiting on the ruling. And, you know, I, you try to ascertain what the rulings are going to be based upon other rulings. And like I said, you, looking at Roberts, I, I wrote a piece months ago, <laughs> did Justice Roberts' rulings depend upon what he had for breakfast that morning? It, it, it seems to be as arbitrary and capricious as that. Um, so, know, so what I can he, tell... Like what, I said, if he's going to contradict himself on the same point of law in two different rulings, how the heck do you know... How is that good for constitutional republic, limited government that the, the, that the Supreme Court is supposed to help deliver? That's exactly right. I mean, to me, I mean, it seems to me that he's trying to maintain the integrity of the Supreme Court and its, it, its separation. Well, he's failing miserably at that. Is he, he, is certain, he certainly is. And, and uh, to, to me, the, the best way for him to do that would be to make good decisions and to be leading right. the Supreme Court in making good decisions. About uh, about the law, not trying to kowtow to public opinion. Well, it's not even public opinion. I wrote about this too a while ago. It, he doesn't care about our opinion. He cares about the DC zeitgeist's opinion, mm. and that's of course ho- ho- horribly problematic if you want constitutional law out of the con- out of the Supreme Court, because the DC zeitgeist, the swamp, the deep state doesn't want anything to do with the Constitution if they can help it. Yeah. So those are the people he's trying to appease, and that's really bad. You know, it's, it's human nature, uh, and it's, it's consistent throughout human history. If you try to do something else rather than your job in order to improve the, in, in the reputation of your job, you end up doing more harm to, your repu- to the reputation of your job. Yeah. He's because a big... You're, you're not he's making decisions... From the right mindset, based on the right set of facts, and the right. right set of priorities, and that's what he's doing. He's trying to. He, I, I think what you said is right. He's trying to avoid the the Supreme Court looking political. Yeah. Well, if you know, as the joke goes, you can ignore politics, but politics won't ignore you. Yeah. You know, his decisions to on these Supreme Court cases with regard to the stolen twenty twenty election where the Supreme Court bizarrely ruled that Pennsylvania stole the 2020 election, but only Pennsylvania can do anything about Pennsylvania stealing the 2020 election, is like saying the only person who can prosecute a murderer is the murderer. <laughs> yes, it's, it's so and true. He, and he did that, I guess, ostensibly, to prevent the court from weighing in on politics. But by not weighing in on politics, they weighed in on politics. I know. Like I said, you can you can ignore politics, but politics doesn't ignore you. And you know, um, it, it, there's a great line from the Rush song: uh, "If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice." <laughs> and he's made he's made choices by not making choices. What a supreme disappointment! I was encouraged because he was appointed by Bush. I thought he'd be a great justice, a Supreme Court justice. The guy is a total disappointment. So just uh, uh, on this Oracle issue, which is such an important case, and it's been hanging fire now for years. 
Ten uh, years plus, yes. Sorry. So where do we stand? What, what, how's this going to all work out? Well, uh, the, the previous ruling, you know, how seesaws up and up the court system, uh, was in favor of Oracle. Right. What, there's, the, there's, the two arguments Google's trying to make is, one, that they, th- what they did was fair use doctrine. Well, fair use doctrine has always been about the written word, not about code. And if you read the, defi- the legal definition of fair use, it's using excerpts of language to f- foster, you know, to further a news story, to further commentary. It's like when you excerpt a paragraph right. from someone else's writing as, as a part of your writing to, to use their, what they said, and then expound upon it. Right. That's what fair use is. It's not code. No one says in writing, and then Java said 011000, you know, it's a completely absurd argument. And then the other argument they make is, if you, if you punish us from st- for stealing uh, intellectual property, people will stop making intellectual property for us to steal. <laughs> Which, absurd. of course, is antithetical to everything we know about human nature. If you, if you allow people to steal, people will stop <laughs> making things for you to steal. That's just obvious. Well, it's the but unfortunate... arguments are absurd. It's pathetic that it's gotten this far and taken this long. But the previous court, the, the lower court immediately preceding the Supreme Court, was correct. So you, you've got a, hopefully a built-in advantage, which is they have to see something fundamentally wrong with the prior ruling to overturn it. Right, and except for the Justice Roberts factors. Except for spastic Ross Roberts. Seton, I always appreciate your commentary. Less Government is the name of the organization. LessGovernment.org is the website. You can visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for, 
Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840. Or visit the website, nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And after yesterday's legislation, it's more important now than ever. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We have with us Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you on a Thursday. It's the highlight of my week. Oh, it's the highlight of my week as well, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) And and I can hear you beautifully today, Bob. Excellent. Well, so uh, any good scoop going on in Naples? (laughs) I'll tell you what. Um, I think that that, that the, the, the council is having difficulty, and I can understand it, and I'm Somebody's got to make a suggestion to them, Bob. It's almost been a year now that the reason they're running these meetings so long, okay, and it's getting people, it's getting not only the council frustrated, but the staff frustrated as well because these meetings run to 6.30, 7 o'clock, 7.30. They add meetings uh, all the time that they need to, um, to really get a grip and start saying, and the mayor should do this, but who knows what she'll do, um, and she should just say, look, at 5 o'clock, folks, we're done for the day, or 5.30, you know, I mean, but you can't just run every single meeting uh, that you have and have it go till 7, 7.30. Uh, people that have families, the staff has families, so we'll watch that a little bit and see whether there's going to be some changes made, because they can't keep going on like this. It's really, it's also frustrating from council members that are, that are, you know, just, they can't, they just can't sit there from 8.30 in the morning until... Six six thirty seven o'clock at night. It just doesn't work. Well, how do you maintain your focus? I mean, I don't know how I could maintain my focus. Three hours is a stretch for me. So I, I would imagine. Uh, well, and again, I just come. I hate to be a broken record, but it just comes down to the purpose of the of the meeting is to make decisions. Right. And if you have the decisions that should be made on the agenda, then you just go down the list and you know discuss w- whatever it might be about that. Right. The problem right. is the problem. The problem is that people get off on side issues. Oh, you're you're so right. I mean, how many times? I mean, I got used to it. Whereas I would bring um, and and we didn't. We very rarely had an issue like that. But if you watch this one day of watching this, and you see, oh my gosh, that's exactly what you said. I mean, they they sidetrack, and then they get talking on something, and the mayor starts asking these questions that are so irrelevant. Uh, and the next thing you know, they don't know where they are. So I mean, yes, I'm being. Crucial. I mean, being hard, and um, and by now it's not sour grapes anymore because I'm not running for anything, and I'm not coming back to run for anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's an issue, and it's really getting annoying. At the beginning, you could say, okay, well, you know, learning learning curve, whatever, rookies, uh, that's no more. Yeah. And next week we'll we'll talk a little bit about 
the upcoming election. That's uh, there's a council election, of course. It's uh, it's a year away. Really? So we should talk about that a little bit as well. Well, I'm just wondering if is uh, Gary Price gonna? It, would he step up and be uh, be the mayor? Well, I'm I'm I am uh, hoping. I speak to Gary a lot. I'm hoping that Gary is uh, is certainly going to run again. Um, I think it frustrates Gary probably more than anyone. Um, he's you know he's got a business and he's got a very successful one, um, and um, it's taking time from he and his family um, and everything else. And it's um, I think it's frustrating. You you want to put so many hours in, but I I think Gary will step up because they really need him. He's he is the uh, the voice of common sense there. Well, sure. You know I I've been to a couple of well. Maybe I've been to one uh, uh, meeting, and, and one thing I noticed is that everybody seems to listen when Gary speaks. I mean, he, you know, right. he's he's kind of has a lot of influence. People understand and listen to him more than I uh, what I think most of the other people on the council. Right, right, Ex exactly, wow. exactly. So, so we'll see what we'll see what happens there. Um, and and then of course the most important thing is Megan and Harry. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> what are your thoughts, Bill, on all this? This and I, 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 I'll tell you what I, um, I don't know how much Oprah got paid to do that, but I can imagine it was a pretty penny, or she paid them. I don't know who paid who. Right. Um, I I have very very mixed feelings about it. I certainly. Can can go along with a, a member of staff if it's true. Uh, if they made that remark about the color of the baby or what have you, um, but the rest of this is just. Um, I think it's it's pure soap opera. Well, my opinion. I just feel sorry for Harry. I think he made a bad selection. <laughs> oh <laughs> man! <laughs> I, I th she's a, a born narcissist. All she cares about, I think, is herself. And uh, now, that, just my opinion, but I yeah, I got that. You need to say that, Bob. <laughs> yeah, but but to me, I mean, what a loser she is! That's un unbelievable. And uh, unfortunately, it's she's drawn him down to the to the mud. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to end up dealing with this. Well, you know, I I, I told Chris the other night um, that we, you know, I knew her. I don't mean no personally, but I watched. Suits, okay, you know, but the uh, show that she was on for three years prior to her ever being, prior to anybody ever knowing who she was, okay, before yeah. the, the royalty started. And so, I mean, she played a great character, and she was really good, and I really liked her. I mean, uh. I liked her as an actress, okay? And then um, I think she's still being an actress. That's interesting. I didn't, you know, I wasn't even aware that she'd actually done anything. That, uh, her, that she was kind of like a B actor. I didn't realize that. She'd done yeah. something, and, and based on your opinion, you like what you saw, so maybe she's got some talent. I really did, really, really did like the show. As a matter of fact, I think it's it's still on, or you can still find it for sure. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, she she played a very, very, very good character. Wow. And so that's how I knew, and all of a sudden, when the, when the royalty started up and everything, I said, oh, my gosh, I know who that is. Yeah. You know, that was kind of strange, but... I think she's still doing a lot of a lot of acting. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, <laughs> but in, nevertheless, somebody got paid a lot of money, and uh, they certainly have. I think what over seventy million people watched that thing. So yeah, that that was uh, so that was a worthwhile venture to do for somebody, right? I guess it networks. was. I guess so. It'd be interesting to hear if, if the queen has any response at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think she'll have a short one, but. 
like Chris said, I mean, she's, she doesn't need to be doing that stuff. No, you she know what doesn't. I mean? No, she doesn't. Bill Barnett, again, our former mayor of Naples. I call him Mayor Bill because he's the best mayor we've ever had in Naples. I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show, Bill. Thank well, thank you, and thank you for those kind words, and you have a good week. And one more quick, real, real quick thing. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I mean, uh, you know, I take my meds, so that makes <laughs> uh, That makes it better? Yeah. Yeah, so my everything seems to be coming along just fine. Good, good. Glad to hear it, Bob. Have a great weekend and a great week. You too. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, tomorrow we're going to visit with you. You've heard me speak about the Foundation for Government Accountability. Well, Taryn Bragdon is the founder and president of this great organization. So we'll be talking about some of the ways that he's responding to the new direction based on the new Biden administration for the uh, Foundation for Government Accountability. William Yateman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with uh, William, as well as Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.